see if see if uh, those those folks that are out there listening to this, if this is the problems that you've experienced. Hey, marketing's pissed because sales is not following up on the leads, and sales is pissed because the leads suck. They're not the Glengarry leads, <laughs> right? And so you get this us versus them marketing and sales classic classic problem right stovepipe kind of optimization reps are complaining because hey i got great development when i first got here but nothing since uh, and yet the whole market and product is changing Where, where's the development ongoing new logo sales are probably doing okay but where's the expansion and the renewals net dollar retention ain't 120 percent Plus, there's challenges around customer retention. The CS teams are overworked with problems that nobody they say nobody's listening to. And everybody's tracking everything uh, except for the key things to focus on. Behind the scenes, it was a small group of people that were doing everything. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I want to know how this insane growth actually happened. What are you doing when no one's around, no one's looking? Are you just showing up and doing the minimum? Or are you approaching it like a pro? Be a student of the game. All right, welcome. Welcome to the GTM pod. Very excited to be hanging out with you, as always. Thank you for lending us your eardrums for the next 40 minutes or so. Uh, This is going to be a fun one. Uh, So this next guest I met at a recent event down in Beaver Creek. We got to do some snowboarding, some skiing together. Uh, It was a fantastic event put on by the sales community. Shout out to Brandy Seidel. Um, And not only did this gentleman provide the cigars for the whole crew, but uh, I really just enjoyed hearing the way uh, that he was thinking about the modern revenue architecture. So I was super excited to have him on the pod to kind of talk through that. Uh, And I am joined by Mark Stevenson. Mark, welcome to the pod, my friend. Fantastic to be here. Pumped to have you, man. Pumped to have you. Um, and just for the listeners, I'll, I'll do a quick background, and, and Mark, I'll get you to give a little bit more color. But Mark has 30 years of solution sales leadership experience, uh, primarily with high-growth venture-backed Series A through D companies. Uh, recently, he was the chief customer officer, uh, now advisor at Evasort, uh, former VP of sales at Avi Networks. And you've also been a part of larger orgs as well, uh, like HP, Cisco, Xerox, kind of big behemoths. And one thing that stood out to me as kind of a crazy fact was you've exceeded quota performance, annual quota for performance, 24 of your 27 years. That's a damn good hit rate. What do you attribute that to? Hey, it's Scott. It's better to be. It's better to be lucky than good. Obviously, um, uh, no. So th- thanks for that. Uh, the only thing I'd add is I'm an Aquarius, and uh, I have a birthday on Thursday. Yeah. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! So your birthday on Thursday. Okay, so we have pretty close uh, birthdays. Uh, mine's coming up on Feb 21. Okay, very good. Uh, yeah. So we're. Uh, I'll have to send you I'm on cigar. the cusp. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, <laughs> I'm on the cusp. I think I'm like the day. Aquarius changes to Pisces. Uh, so I'm all sorts of messed up, I guess. <laughs> Just, yeah, I saw him yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome. All right. So I like to kick these off with something topical, something I'm thinking about. And I think it's hyper relevant because we both had this experience 
you know, we're sitting around the table, about 15 leaders and talking about kind of the complexity of, you know, the modern revenue stack. And there was a leader there uh, from a very large company uh, who in real time did a, uh, an audit. He, he asked his head of marketing, his head of sales, uh, what their tech stack looked like. And he didn't have full visibility. And he mentioned they had 140 different sales and MarTech tools across the organization, which is insane. And so I wanted to ask you, like, did we get tool drunk over the last few years? Uh, it does feel like people are cutting back, being more intentional now. Uh, do you think this is a net positive trend or are you bush on the fact that you should be investing in as much innovative technology as you can? Yeah, I mean, I, I found that a really interesting conversation as well. And he started off the, the conversation actually saying, I don't have any money. And at the end of it, you know, he had 88 tools in marketing for crying out loud. At the end of it, you know, we, we surmised that it was about $10 million in annual spend. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's got plenty of money, right? And I don't think that's unusual. This is, uh, we won't name names, but this is a bellwether in the valley. Long, long uh, track record of success. But I'll tell you, in a, in a Series A firm that I was most recently in, we were 150% of tools for sure. And, um, you know, in the growth economy that we've all experienced, uh, it was, you know, invest first and, and figure out how you're going to do it. I think it's very common. I think there's order of magnitude savings in looking at the stack. But the challenge is, what are you looking for within that stack? What are you trying to accomplish at any company level? And I think it's a major issue in, in how companies scale in this or any economy is to get that right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need to like take a step back and map out your entire buying process, the customer journey, and then go seek out the tooling that, that fits those different areas and it's going to help you drive outcomes in each kind of section instead of doing I, I think a lot of folks did the opposite where let's go get this tool it's shiny it's new it looks exciting there's big grand promises and let's try and wedge it in somewhere and and see how it goes well i know i'm preaching to the to the choir, my brother, but you got to start with the end in mind. What was clear in this meeting we had with about 10 CROs is they didn't think it was anything to be focused on mm -hmm. from a, a CRO standpoint. And I think that's completely wrong. Not to get lost in the weeds of the tech, more so the CRO should optimize for, uh, I think you start with in SaaS, I'm going to argue there's, there's five uh, lagging metrics, three that are all VCs are interested in, and there's four leading metrics that drive your business. And you, you need to get cross-functional alignment on those five and four leading lagging metrics. And then you also need to think about what are the challenges I have in my go-to-market. And the CRO should bring those into the conversation around a, a stack to support their team. Their team is marketing sales, SDRs, alliances, and customer success. And they have to have an opinion on the business objectives that need to be solved. And with that lens, you can really tune the stack 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we level set there? What are those leading and lagging metrics that every CRO, every leader should be razor focused on? Well, that's, that's where, uh, you know, where there's mystery, there's margin. And there's a lot of mystery around what is the stack. I think there's no common nomenclature. We might all just go on chat GPT right now and plug in uh, modern revenue operations architecture. By the way, revenue operations has got a bunch of different definitions by itself. Let's be clear. That's marketing ops, sales ops, and customer ops together as revenue ops. And you need tooling that supports that that full stack. And so, you know, I found kindred spirit with you, and it was fun to scrum on, hey, what's the stack? And just like in networking, there's an OSI stack layer so that you can talk about it, have a common nomenclature. I think we, you know, I think we came up with a pretty good stack idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's five elements to it. Um, and the first is start with a data layer. You need a common data layer around your whole customer experience. Suspect, prospect, customer, expand, renewal. Uh, and that data layer is critical because you won't scale. And the challenges I've seen is if you don't get that right, leads don't flow. Uh, you, you, you don't get the metrics right at all. But so that da- that system of, of record um, is really critical to get right and all the data inputs to that. Second is system of engagement. You can think of it as, all right, how do we drive the right velocity of activities? That system of engagement that sits on top of the system of record. And then second is, how do I make those, third rather, is how do I make those actions more productive? So it's not just velocity. Great book, Sales Paradox, right? In these times, challenging times, Activities can go up, but yields can go down. You don't need more activities. You need more of the right activities that drive that drive your yield. And then the 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 really the fourth level is is a system of intelligence. So what's my telemetry around how these things are really driving results and trended data, which you don't get out of Salesforce, right? CRM uh, is definitely a Salesforce standard, but you you, you really uh, can't get to the the trend of data, and then last but not least is the people elements. What is the performance of everybody in my go to market, and and how do I get that data uh, for great transparency around performance and stack rankings and performance management and everything else? So those five layers, I think, is a great architecture to start with, but starting with the problems you're trying to solve and the leading and lagging metrics uh, for a SaaS business. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, it was kind of a light bulb moment, I think, for quite a few folks that were in that that room. And and that is what CRM should be focused on. I I agree with you that like CRO is not going to have time to check out every single tool that is like coming online, but they do have the time when someone brings up, hey, I want to go and spend X, Y, Z on this new RevTech tool. Okay, where in these five stages is this going to fit in? And do we already have overlaps? Can we drive efficiency through existing tools? If not, okay, let's make the business case 
and let's push this forward. Um, but I think that that architecture is so important. And if you stray from that, you know, that's when you get just this amalgamation of Frankenstein, you know, architecture. Tools fall, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, 150% of tools bought, but 50% of utilization and not sure about the results, even with the utilization. I, I think about our friend in the Valley, if he took that architecture and stepped back with that architecture, with the problems he needs to solve in his go-to-market and the leading and lagging metrics of his increasingly SaaS business, uh, you know, he, he can really drive a lot of savings. And savings is the short money, I think, in the equation. Drive productivity in this market is critical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the right productivity. And that's where the intelligence piece comes into it. Um, and, okay, so I, I love this idea of this architecture. We've got the system of rector, uh, record. We've got the system of engagement. We've got this system of, you know, call it enablement or productivity, system of intelligence, and then we have people and performance management. Um, now, let's take a, a step back and talk through kind of the, the problems you're trying to solve. And I know that you have this sort of four-pronged approach to build great go-to-market teams. And you've implemented this in the last two firms that you've, you've been at. And this is a story-based podcast, so I would love for you to, you know, share those four prongs and how they made you successful at the last two organizations that you built. Okay, giddy up. So if I think about it, the common theme is maybe it could be summarized around every time I come into a new company, uh, there's two words. <laughs> Let's see if I can anti-Biden this and get it to actually two words. It's, it's, G, it's GTM debt. Right. There's always debt. There's always a problem when a CRO comes into a new business. You're not, you're not coming into a business that's running swimmingly well. And time is your enemy always in these situations. And you're trying to hit the ground running. But also... I see a lot of CROs that come in with a rigid framework of something that worked in a prior business. That doesn't work either, right? You got to have the right, you got to fit the go to market to the business to optimize the chances of escape velocity from a revenue standpoint and, and all that. So, I mean, the thing, the themes that I keep finding when I come into these companies, usually a series C or D when, you know, product market fit is established. You got tons of customers, got tons of problems. And the problems sound like this. See if see if uh, those those folks that are out there listening to this, if this is the problems that you've experienced. Hey, marketing's pissed because sales is not following up on the leads, and sales is pissed because the leads suck. They're not the Glengarry leads, <laughs> right? And so you get this us versus them, marketing and sales, classic classic problem, right? Stovepipe kind of optimization. Reps are complaining because. Hey, I got great development when I first got here, but nothing since. Uh, and yet the whole market and product is changing. Where, where's the development ongoing? New logo sales are probably doing okay. But where is the expansion and the renewals? Net dollar retention ain't 120% plus. There's challenges around customer retention. The CS teams are overworked with problems that nobody they say nobody's listening to. And everybody's tracking everything. 
uh, except for the key things to focus on. And like you said, there's, you know, 150% of tools. We got tools for everything, but, you know, what are they really doing? That That's the problems set I usually inherit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not smart. I had an original idea in 1987. I can't remember what it was. I just shamelessly steal ideas from wherever that seemed to work. And I wanted to hang them to something. <laughs> so I came up with these this four-pronged kind of uh, growth playbook idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, before you even get there on how you execute, you got to be aligned with your CEO and the go-to-market. And that that's probably one big learning is you want to have a sit down with the CEO and say, vision, mission, vision, you know, does it really capture people's hearts? Mission, really metric-based, 18 to 24 months. What are we going to accomplish and then strategy, you know, it's key to say to the organization what you're going to do, but also what you're not going to do. And it's got to be less than a handful of plays that you're going to run from a go-to-market standpoint. And then and only then are you in the position to say, well, what kind of org am I going to have? What's the structure? And then and only then can you say, well, what's the kind of talent I want to hire? Very specific talent. What's the comp? How's that going to align? The invisible hand of capitalism. Let's get it working for us. The right incentives. And then key processes that we want to continually improve on. And then then leading and lagging metrics let you know if if the whole thing is working or not. That, that, That GTM alignment with the CEO is critical. And with the board. And then with the executive team. To get all the wood behind the arrow, to get everybody, you know, um, really working together. Early stage firm, the bias is failure. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do extraordinary every day to put all the wood behind the arrow and give you yourselves the best probability of success? You've got to be aligned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a workout analysis that I've, I've done. It's as simple as what I said, but it's hard to get everybody on the same page. And then this four-pronged execution focus I've had is stupid simple. Number one, everybody get granular around what the ideal customer profile is. An ideal customer is one that really needs what you got, really would expand more uh, once you start with them, usage. They're not customers anymore, they're users. And then third, you can build a great business around it. That's the definition of an ICP, and you got to go find it. By the way, I did a chat GPT. Hey, what's the definition of ICP? It's pretty damn good. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> and then second, I learned this way too late. See the gray hair? But you're going to fix that in post, right? Of course, of course, um, of course. Yeah. Talent. You're only as good as the talent you hire and you develop. And uh, you have to have a very specific way to win the best talent. Great companies have great talent. And third is how do you get great go-to-market alignment between marketing, SDRs, sales, alliances, customer success, all on that same page. In the go-to-market alignment, you got to look for two things, efficiency and leverage. No CFO or board member should allow you to just continue to hire AEs to dominate a space. You gotta get productivity somewhere. PLG, uh, alliances and and channels could be productivity, leverage in your go-to-market. You gotta look for it before you need it because it takes a while to get that. And then last, the fourth one, ICP, great talent, go-to-market alignment, is uh, sales effectiveness. These five uh, 
lagging result measures and four leading SaaS measures, activity measures, got to get everybody on the same page and have a rev ops stack that really supports your business. So I hang all my actions on those four focus areas. Mm -hmm. I think those are great. And I, I actually love the fact how simple it is because I think we try and over-engineer things and it executing on those four is much more difficult than it may seem. But I would love to break those oh. apart a little bit. And what have you done right when it comes to defining your ICP and where have you also gone wrong in the past doing that exercise? Okay, sure. So where I've gone right, and this is a stupid, simple tell that I guarantee people if they use it, it'll impact their business. The number one thing to look for in ICP from an industry standpoint is gross margin and revenue growth. If you focus on companies that have greater than 50% gross margin and double-digit revenue growth, they're healthy businesses, and a dollar doesn't look like uh, a quarter doesn't look like a manhole cover to them. They don't need an annual budget cycle. Uh, they can spend money on things. I'm I'm shocked at how many people. Well, we're going to go after retails and manufacturers and healthcare. Well, you you better really think about that because their operating margins, retailers suck. Mm -hmm. uh, bureaucracy and the healthcare kind of decision making, and manufacturers really tight margins. So they're going to put the screws to you. Now, if that is your ICP, is that where if that's where the need is most? prevalent, then that's great, but it's going to impact your ability to drive great gross margins as a business. So it's a very strategic decision. So that's that's where it's gone well for me. And no shock that most, most growth firms focus on financial firms and tech, where the gross margins are well north of 50. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where I've gone wrong with it is I wasn't rigorous enough about it, right? Is the, the tough thing is when you get a lead from a company, that's a household name. Do you say no if it's outside of your ICP? You got to really grind that through with marketing, with the SDRs, and there's various tactics to do it, but you got to you got to grind on that because as an early stage firm, you're resource constrained, opportunity rich. There's an opportunity cost to follow up on a lead that's outside your target. Um and you got to you got to be mindful of that. So I, I I should have been more rigorous at times around that. All right. So in in that example, Mark, so you would encourage particularly startups to actually disqualify out quicker or say no, even if it's a nice big shiny logo. But if it's not in your ICP, and you have to be super rigorous in not spinning your wheels because you have limited time, you have limited resources, and you know you could spend nine months on a deal that is going to go nowhere. Well, I think that's exactly right. So <clears throat> really look at uh, the industry that the uh, company's in, and we did, I just gave you a, a, an easy rule of thumb as a first pass for that. But the other thing you have to think about is what are customer types that could adopt my solution the easiest? Mm -hmm. Uh, thing I always say is if they can't spell API, 
are they going to be able to implement your solution, right? Do, what, is, what is the fact pattern that suggests that they've implemented solutions like yours in the past, right? Because in SaaS, it's a, a lot of people are still selling like technology sales. Hammer to sell it, push it to a partner for implementation. That's death in SaaS. You've got to get adoption. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're, you're, you have a vicious SaaS model, not a virtuous one, where net dollar retention, you know, is another engine of growth, not just new logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a leader hammer into my head the question around uh, when's the last time you implemented a project of this size and how did it go? Yes. And you can find out very yes. quickly uh, that, you know, this champion you think is a champion has never done anything close to the size and scope of this. They might not have cross-functional alignment. They don't even know how to deal with procurement or legal. Um, it's a powerful question. And the, the sooner you ask it up front, you know, it just gets harder to ask those hard questions as you go. That's a genius question. I mean, I've sold a lot to IT. And the first thing you realize when you start selling to business users is, oh my God, the IT folks knew how to buy. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of business users, they don't. We were, we're selling to legal teams uh, at Evisort and we had, to, we had to really dust off, you know, the challenger sale and how to lead them through uh, a rational mm-hmm. decision. Absolutely. Yeah. And then give them examples of like, okay, well, typically when we talk to customers that look like you, here is their natural process, you know, walk me through how we're going to make that, that happen. Um, I think that's great. Um, so the next one, so the, the, the second prong was how to hire great talent. What have you done right when it comes to hiring talent and what are some mistakes that you've, you've made? Yeah. Hey, by the way, the other one on ICP that I think might be interesting to folks is I stole this from Looker is they, they focused on value one. And it's a concept of three questions you find out. You, you get situational information on what they're trying to solve, the challenges. You find the current state metric that they have to improve and what the desired state improvement of that metric needs to be. And so you auger on that value one to help with the business case. And then you drive value one in your CRM, the Salesforce documents that it's at handoff with the customer success team and that becomes a bright line of are we adopted or not are you adopted to value one and in SaaS, you haven't earned the right to ask about expansion or renewal until you've adopted to their value one metric of improvement on why they actually bought you in the in the first place so that's that's another dimension of icp hiring t- a great talent um is one where I've made a lot of mistakes and the, and the key, you know, geez, it's tough, right? I mean, you date somebody forever. Today's Valentine's Day. I uh, hope you got something for uh, your significant other. Mm-hmm. I did. And even in that, it's a 50% divorce. So how in the world do you get, you know, hiring better than 50%? You got to be really clinical. And I learned that late. Number one, very tight spec about what you're looking for. You know, early, late stage experience, the right sales experience, the right domain experience and right customer experience. Think of a Venn diagram where all those three things. If you're hiring an enterprise rep and they've only done commercial, well, in the last growth market, 
they kind of got away with, well, I want to be an enterprise rep. You can't do that, right? You need to hire for that experience. The bigger companies can afford to kind of move somebody along or maybe take a risk in that situation. I mean, hell, I've never seen a growth market like this ever. I mean, and in a tornado, even a turkey can fly. Everybody's been over their, their numbers, right? You got, you got to go down to the fundamentals of do they have that experience? Um, of course, you want to take a risk on some folks. But the, the second is, do they have the domain experience? And at the field level, you really got to have that. At a management level, you don't have to and have the domain experience so much. And then third is customer experience. Do they have a Rolodex or customer relationships that's in your ICP? If you can nail somebody in the, in the middle of all three of those, uh, that's key. So I think the hiring manager should write the spec, not HR. Be very specific about what that looks like. Uh, second, uh, I have like 10 steps that I follow along. I'm not going to cover them all now. But the other big theme is have a challenge. Um, have them do something that demonstrates, uh, you know, that they could, they, how they think, how they present. Um, in an AE land, it's real easy. Have them present a 30, 60, 90 day plan after you give them some insights about what you're looking for and see how they do. I find 30% of the people opt out the week of because <laughs> it's too hard, too much work for them. Fantastic. Good to find that out soon. Uh, every role you can find a challenge to see if somebody can step up and really do the work, mm -hmm. right? The other big key is have a very tight interview uh, team. Shouldn't be more than five interviews. Shouldn't be more than two weeks. Um, and really, I love what uh, Udi said from Gong is create a wonderful, in your last mm -hmm. podcast, create a wonderful user experience for them. Whether they get the job or not, right, is, is um, really serve them well. I actually have a packet that I'll give all candidates about why they should care, why it's interesting, and who's been successful in a role prior. It's just just like you would you would give a customer uh, documentation about why why you. You need to do that for for candidates as well. So a whole bunch of other things. The other time honored technique is always do backdoor references. Check the references they give you. But in the world of LinkedIn, for crying out loud, you can find some Kevin Bacon first degree, second degree separation where you can go find an unfiltered varnished truth of how this person is. You got to do that and not abdicate it to HR. The hiring manager has to do it. <laughs> so a little passionate about hiring great talent, but it's, it separates the wheat from the chaff, man. It's the big difference in companies is you get great talent around you. You become a talent magnet too, as you develop talent, people want to come work for you. It becomes easier. For Absolutely. Everybody. And great talent always surrounds themselves with great talent. So you hire a great leader. They have 14 people oh. coming with them. You hire a great AE. They have friends that are like, oh, that guy's awesome. That gal's awesome. This company must be the one. And then, you know, you're, you're exactly right. That cycle starts kicking in. Well, there's another side of that, though. Is, you know, you want to, people often want to be in the trenches with people they've been in the trenches with in the past. So, you know, a, a lazy hire thing from CROs I've seen in the past is I'm just going to go hire the people that I worked at the prior right. company. Well, that's okay if it's the same industry, same space, same same uh, segments you're going after in ICP. But 
beware of, of just hiring folks that you know versus the folks that are right for that yeah. business. Yeah, good call out. Good call out. Um, all right, moving on to, to number three, which is alignment. And this is a, a tough one to get right, particularly if you go into a company that uh, you know has some, call it revenue or alignment debt. Uh, what have you done right when it comes to alignment? What have you done wrong? Yeah, that's a really tricky one because you got to get cross-functional teaming. You got to get trust to get good teaming. And in a remote world, really challenging. Uh, I, I think, you know, these kind of go-to-market alignment sessions, like I was talking about earlier, getting the whole executive team on the same stack of mail as to what our strategy is and the key metrics and things like that. I think that's fundamental to this go-to-market alignment. But I think if you have cross-functional leading and lagging metrics, you got a good shot at mm -hmm. it. Because otherwise, each function will optimize for their own metrics. Mm -hmm. I'll I, I tell you what I mean. Marketing. MQLs is meaningless. It's sale-qualified leads, SQLs. And marketing may hate that because, well, I have a dependency on the sales rep following up and qualifying it. But that's the only metric that's going to move to pipeline potentially. So that'd be a good example. And it's not pipeline, it's sales qualified opportunities. And the BDRs might hate that. I want to, I want to incentivize B, the BDR team, not on meetings, but on SQOs. Now, that would be, you could have a, a meeting qualifier, but they should have uh, a metric on the outcome. And see, so you look for these, these dependencies for teamwork and have metrics that supersede that as opposed to submetrics across each department. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's why I'm a, I'm a big advocate. It took me a long time to get to it. These leading and lagging metrics that I think I would argue are foundational for a SaaS company. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that go-to-market alignment, you get everybody working on the same page. And then the two things you have to look for is the efficiency. So you're looking for how do I reduce sales cycles? What's the latest bottleneck in, in the sales cycle? How, what's the timing to lead flow? Uh, another thing that I've done well is, and I'll learn this too late. Uh, I'll do it again now, but I'll, I'll give it to everybody here, is staple yourself to a prospect. What's the journey that prospect is going to take through to uh, the close one, the close one to the first CS adoption meeting, and then to expand and renewal uh, processes. What's that process look like? And grind on it and find uh, uh, every quarter, every month, find bottlenecks to get that efficiency. And as I said earlier, the other thing you're looking for in go-to-market alignment is leverage. I can't just keep hiring reps to dominate a space. Uh, at the same productivity, I got to boost the, the productivity. I got to get close rates uh, to improve. I've got to get pipeline to improve. Channels and alliances is a great way to go about that. But you can't do channels and alliances until you got a predictable uh, sales cycle of your own uh, that you can shrink wrap and enable uh, for channels and alliances. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's really the, the magic and the teamwork around go-to-market alignment. For two goals, efficiency and leverage. Yeah. 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 It seems like three and four, those pillars are, are very closely linked, right? To help with alignment, everyone needs to be looking at the same leading and lagging SaaS metrics. 
do you want to run yeah. through those quickly? What are the the leading and the lagging metrics yeah, sure. that, that you look at? So everybody's good at tracking the result measures, but it's the juice is in the activity measures, right? Well, let's start with the result measures. So there's three that are funding metrics, and you're a funder. I bet you'll agree with these. First metric result measure is ARR growth. Is it 2x? Is it 3x? Is it 10x? What is that number? That's the first question you're going to ask, Scott. I know it. Second question you're going to ask is what's the net dollar retention? If I bring in a dollar, what does that dollar turn into in a year? Third question, hey, tell me about your reps. What's the quota attainment overall? And then that, the, the question right behind it is, hey, how many reps do you have and how many are over quota? What's the distribution of the quota attainment? Those are the three fundraising metrics. And then the latter two within that of, of five is what's your close rate? And the last one's what's your average order size? Because you need to toggle those two. I need to get average order size up, sales cycle time and close rate down. And those, but those support the, re, the result measures, the funding metrics of ARR growth, NDR, and, and rep quota attainments, all about rep productivity. And, and then so what are the activity measures that you get the whole go-to-market team focused on? And, and those are qualified meetings with your ICP. I don't care about the meetings to joebackadonuts.com. <laughs> I want, the, I want the meetings to the ICP that we all said was our focus. Second is pipeline generation, SQO, sales qualified opportunities, early, late stage. You're going to be able to measure that because your sales cycle is going to be rational and tuned for the business to the ICP. Actually, you'll look at pipeline, how much pipeline is outside of ICP versus in. That's a key measure. Theoretically, should you have any that's outside of your ICP? It's a good question. Um, and then customer use adoption is, is my third big met leading metric. How do you know the customer's adopted? Everybody should be scrumming on that. And va that value one metric is, is a key bright line that I've used. More so than usage or users, it tells a story of will they were renewal and what business impact do they got. And I think that works in, in any economy, but especially the one now that I remember Yudi was saying in your last podcast, which is a great one for folks to listen to, is CFOs are scrutinizing every decision right now. I get the ROI. I get the I, the investment. What's the return? And what's the metrics that's going to improve if I buy your, your, mm -hmm. your service? And then the fourth metric is to be pretty hypocritical of me to say talent is the key if you don't have a metric on talent. So how many of your reps have certified, done the onboarding? There's tests. I want to see their demo. I want to see their demo. I want my managers to see their demo or whatever that key uh, onboarding metric is. And then I also want to know of the folks that we've hired, how, what was, what percentage hit our, our, our talent spec, and there's gradation on that, that talent spec. So qualified meetings, qualified pipeline, customer adoption, and uh, talent, how you develop in your reps, how close to the pin was the hiring, and have they, uh, are they in the first 90 days, are they, are they good to go? Because you'll make mistakes. You should catch it in, in 60 days. Give, give a rep or, or anybody 30 days to kind of remediate and act and otherwise at 90 days 
you're keeping them from being successful somewhere else if you're keeping them at your company. Well, that was gold, my friend. Hopefully, those folks listening to this uh, are aware of those leading and lagging indicators, but this is the year of going back to fundamentals, stripping it back, going back to what worked, what has worked, you know, for many, many years, and we have gone a bit astray, so... I would urge everyone to rewind five minutes, listen to that again, strip away all the noise, get back to fundamentals. Uh, I think that was that was that was great. Um, all right, Mark. As we sort of wrap up here, I got a, a couple more questions for you, and this is from a, a listener, and actually from one of our GTM fund portfolio companies, um, and it's a great one. It's a, it's simple. It's straightforward. We're just starting to build our Rev Tech stack from scratch. Where would you start after CRM? And we sort of touched on this earlier on on how people should be thinking about it. I would love your hot take on that. Yeah, well, uh, first I would say make sure you're you're keen on what you're measuring for. Uh, you, you can't inspect, uh, you can't improve what you can't measure. So what are, what are the what are the step back from it and say what are the leading and lagging metrics that I need to be getting from mm-hmm. this stack? Very key planning work. And then second, where you got to get results quick, right? Is where's the biggest problem in, in my go-to-market right now? Is it, you know, at the data layer? Is it at, I don't have the velocity of activities that I really need? Is it, I got the velocity of activities, but I got a, you know, I got that sales paradox going too much activity with not enough results. That's at the, and you know, or is it at the rep level, right? How do I know if, if reps are really executing our game plan, gone, right? Conversational fluency around uh, how things are actually happening in the wild, in the field, you can implement uh, solutions like Gong to get that kind of intelligence. So I go back to, you got to first figure out what the problems are because you don't have time for some academic exercise on re-architecting the stack. Mm-hmm. So leading and lagging metrics, problem you got to solve. And you know, you and I highlighted this five-layer cake architecture where you can you can focus in on where you can most likely solve those problems. And I think there's a Noah's Ark, two of solutions in every one of those stacks that you might consider. And beware of you know varying outside of those standards that are in the marketplace today. You just don't have time in an early stage firm to do a lot of experimentation. Yeah, yeah. I like that answer because it's also nuanced, which I agree with this five kind of layer cake uh framework we outlined you can it, it's not always going to be in that perfect order right you mentioned you, you have to look at what is what is broken within your system is it you know your volume is great but once you get someone on a demo you know you can't convert them to you know a true opportunity you know so maybe it's time to bring on an enablement tool you know get that people accredited, you know, so that there is going to be some nuance there. So again, I, I like your advice of start with the problem, then go find the, the tech and then layer on from there. Uh, yeah. And spend a little bit of time on problem solving too, right? What's root cause within that problem. There's often people process and tech reasons around it. These tools, by the way, don't implement themselves. So you got to think about how much, how much can I implement in a period of time to get 
uh, operationally sound around these things too, right? You know, what's that thing? It takes five times for anybody to hear you mm-hmm. in, a, in an organization to be successful. Is he? You operationally only have so much change you can implement in the stack yeah. at any one yeah. time. A good, another good call out there. Yeah, especially it sounds like this is very early stage if you're just starting a rev tech from scratch. So it might be your sales leader that has to own that and they need to be out there selling. They don't have time to you know, go through a complex implementation. Um, hopefully you have an ops person, but uh, yeah, time is, time is money. Yeah. Um, all right. Here's one of my favorite right. questions. Um, and both of these last two are intentionally vague. So you can highlight something we already talked about or take it a completely different direction. Uh, what is one widely held belief from revenue leaders, uh, leaders sorry, that you think is BS or no longer relevant? Huh. That's a good one. Um, I find it disappointing that companies are doing a bunch of layoffs right now. And it seems politic to say, well, I'm sorry, we hired too fast in the economy. What a bloat of shit is why don't you look at your folks all the time and understand where they fit within you dust off McKinsey created it GE uh, made it famous this nine block and you can do it on a whiteboard with your team is uh, behaviors and performance look at folks that are high behaviors high performance those are your stars what are you doing to recognize those folks keep them put them in positions they can have even more impact what are the folks that are low behavior low performance man they had to be on a pip ASAP and if they can't be on a pip to, to, to credibly improve, you have to be authentic with them and say you, you shouldn't be here, right? And then what about the people in the middle, right? Uh, they get overlooked. And I, I think in this growth economy where even a turkey can freaking fly, uh, I think we got away from people development, people focus. And you know, companies hit the easy button. I'll just lay everybody off because I can't. Look at Twilio today. A 17% layoff and now a 10% layoff. Oh, my gosh. Here's an example of doing it wrong. So I, I think in any economy, any growth market, you need to spend time focused on your people development. And, and back to my earlier point on great talent, people see that. If you're in it to win it for them, they want to work for you. And they, and they tell two friends. And suddenly you got uh, you got a competitive mm-hmm. advantage in talent. Yeah. Makes complete makes sense. sense. It's something I feel extremely passionate about. You know, I'm I'm uh, consider myself fortunate to you know be able to surround myself with folks like like yourself and this generation of sales leaders and talent. And when you look at most of them, they went through trainings like Xerox. They went through these sometimes month long, you know, three month long high intensity trainings that really taught you the fundamentals. And I think we've done a huge disservice for this next generation of sellers where we said, here's an enablement tool. There's a bunch of videos in there. Listen to some gong calls. Good luck. You know, so I I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Totally. I I feel so bad for today's generation of sellers who are like, well, they're probably not sure Mm -hmm. what really worked. Were they in in the slipstream of the of the growth, 
and and crappy training. When I got lucky enough to go to Xerox, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. They trained us on quality tools, how to diagnose problems first. Then they trained us on what they called leadership through diversity, how to do cross-functional and teaming and the business case for diversity. This wow. is 89, 87. And then third, they trained us on sales training. But it was after all that. They, they trained for the whole person. And uh, I think we got away from that. Uh, um, and I feel sorry for folks coming up uh, the ranks. They need that, that development. I worry about people getting a false negative about sales mm -hmm. because of that, mm -hmm. right? Um, it could be great, right? And just didn't yeah. get enough development. I stand on the shoulders of people that have trained me in the past. And mm -hmm. I really appreciate yeah. it. And it's, it's twofold, right? Like I think there is enough resources and communities and things now that if you're a self-starter, you can, you can self-teach yourself a lot of the like sales strategies, tactics, methodology, but it's very difficult to figure out the business acumen piece on yourself, to become an expert, to have a C-suite level conversation with someone. Those are things that, you know, some blog post online isn't going to be able to help you with. Um, so no. going back to business fundamentals. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's why I love, I love the, I love the operating role now from the opportunity to work with folks. I mean, at the last company I was at, this watch was older than uh, the executive team. And so it, was, yeah. it was just fun. Uh, it's fun to kind of teach and see folks winning at times. I'm kind of a talent whisperer and deal whisperer, not because I'm wicked smart. It's because I've seen a lot. Um, and so actually I, I just finished a, a missive that I wrote on these four prongs. Uh, it's going to come out in the blog series and sales community. And uh, I am, you know, looking for my next uh, operating role. But over time, I, I love to teach and I'd love to do advisory on, on these elements just to help organizations and, and leaders out and, and, and folks out uh, around this. It's knowable. Uh, there are fundamentals. And the reason they're timeless is because mm -hmm. they work. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're a founder listening to this or maybe a, a younger revenue leader, first-time VP role, uh, reach out to Mr. Mark Stevenson. Um, you can tell from this this episode, he knows his stuff through and through. Can't speak highly, uh, more highly of, uh, of his knowledge. So definitely, you know, Mark, I know you got your head up a little bit looking for that next uh, exciting area to spend some time in. So... Uh, any listeners, uh, what's what's the best way to get in touch with you? LinkedIn or? Yeah, LinkedIn. Perfect. And sure. yeah, excited to see those four-pronged approach uh, drop on the sales community. I might ping Randy to see if we can throw it in the, the GTM newsletter as well. Um, so for those folks, hopefully yes. we'll, uh, we'll have it either in the show notes when this comes out, uh, linking to the sales community, or we'll, we'll toss it in the newsletter. But Mark, you're the man. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Uh, that was a, a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Scott, I really appreciate it. And I love your investment focus in the GTM fund. As we just talked about, I think uh, where there's mystery, there's margin. Absolutely. And there's a lot of mystery around the right <laughs> rev off stack, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark. And for all those listeners hanging out with us, listening is one thing. Executing is everything. Take some of these lessons. Go look. Do an audit of your business. Apply some of it. And uh, we'll see you next week. 